hope, aspiration, connection, belonging, culture. These are the stories we tell. Join me as I speak to storytellers from across the world and hear about what inspires them to create the reality they want to live in. Welcome to the first episode of The Stories We Tell. I had the pleasure today of speaking to my friend Shooter, a filmmaker and world traveler. He told me stories of hope and aspiration as he traveled the world to film his new documentary. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. It is my pleasure to welcome a good friend of mine, Shooter, to this podcast as the first guest. Shooter, welcome. Hey, Avi. Uh... Pleasure to be here. Happy to be the first one. And uh, yeah, we met a couple of times and um, met you and your whole family. Everyone's cooler than the last. Uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks for having me yeah. on, man, and thinking about me. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, when I told my family that uh, I was, uh, you were going to be my first guest, they were really excited about it. They said, hey, that's, that's awesome. Give him our love. Hope to see him soon. So yeah, we definitely, all of us in the th three, two, three times that we met, we definitely got along really well. So Appreciate that, my friend. Uh, so, Shooter, you're quite the world traveler. Uh, your travels have taken you all over the world, right? And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you first is you are quite the storyteller through the visual media, right? You're, as your name suggests, you are a filmmaker. Uh, so wh why don't you talk about where your travels have taken you recently? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so I've been to Guatemala, uh, Jamaica, uh, Virginia, Texas, um, Kenya, Latvia, Argentina, um, in the last uh, six months, five months. Um, and it's more traveling than I'm used to. And it's because I'm making this film about inflation and Bitcoin. And really, as you say, telling stories. Um, all of this really boils down to telling stories. And so, yeah, th th those are the places that I've been telling stories about life with different intensities of inflation and stories about uh, where this printed money goes uh, when it does get printed. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. That's, that's where I've been. That's awesome. And has there been any common theme that's emerged in all of these? I mean, you've gone to all, all sorts of diverse places, right? From what you said, is there a common theme that you've noticed in the conversations you've had? Um, so yeah, there definitely has been a common theme. I, I mean, um, there are a couple, right? Inflation, definitely e everywhere I go. Um, even in Guatemala, where they historically have never had inflation, they've always had a very good peg to the dollar. Uh, people are there were saying, you know, hey, I I'm starting to feel inflation ever since COVID. And so that kind of felt more like the USA. But, you know, of course, Jamaica uh, is even worse. Argentina, even worse. And then um, I'm, I've yet to go to Zimbabwe. But even in, in the places that I was traveling for other reasons, not necessarily to focus on the inflation, like Latvia uh, and Kenya, the same thing. Every time I tell someone I'm making a film about inflation, they're like, I'm, I'm really feeling it here. Like the country is really feeling it. So that was the most, absolutely the most common theme. You know, of course, Bitcoin is a common theme in all the places I went to different extents, but there's... Pretty much everywhere you go, there's some kind of Bitcoin presence. So you have some people there that get it and uh, 
and you know see what it could possibly do for their country. So I would say, um, yeah, those are the most common themes. Maybe also it's because of what I'm looking for and what I'm documenting. But again, I, uh, the reason why I wanted to make a film about inflation is because I truly believe that is the most universal theme where if you go anywhere and you talk to somebody about inflation, you know, they're, they're going to actually feel it. So, um, yeah, I yeah. think that was the most common thing. So, you know, that's uh, as a storyteller who's who you, you clearly have a narrative in mind, which is well, certainly a narrative to explore right around inflation. Do you feel like when you start having these conversa conversations with folks across the world that you're to an extent leading the witness uh, to giving you the answers you want to hear? <laughs> well, um, I, I do when every time I go into an interview. I know what I want the person to say. That that is true, um, because that's the way that I best prepare um, for an interview. Is I imagine, okay, if this interview goes exactly the perfect way that I want it to go, and I get the exact sound bites that I'm expecting, because I am expecting certain sound bites, right? Like most, I'm not going in blind. So in terms of um, yeah, leading, am I am I leading? So yeah, I, I definitely go into an interview with. Uh, an idea of what I want the person to say. I mean, literally when I plan the interview, um, I would write out what I imagine them saying. Um, and because going into interviews, I've done some research, I had got to have a good idea what this person is about. Um, and I, I think like journalists, you're not supposed to advocate for things, but I think everyone secretly does anyway, um, or, or secretly or openly, you know, like obviously if you're going to research something, you're going to draw a conclusion. You're, you're going to have a, an opinion about it, of what you think is the truth. And you're going to want to get that truth out there. Um, and so, um, no, I feel like what I'm doing is I'm helping my interviewee clarify their thoughts. Um, I, I think, because as a filmmaker, if I do an hour interview, um, and especially for this film, I might only use 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 20 seconds of what that person said. Um, and so I need those 10 seconds. I, I need the juicy, I need it condensed, the thoughts that they have condensed down to those things. So a lot of times I'll either have a nice sweet sentence or two that I have thought about beforehand that I thought this person might agree with. Um, or throughout the interview, I'll kind of distill what someone said and I'll say, okay, would it be fair to say this, you know, would you agree with this statement, you know, and they would say, yeah, I totally agree with that statement. And I would say, okay, would you please tell me that statement, you know? So, um, again, I, I definitely have an idea of what I want from them, but what it comes down to ultimately is it's just a casual conversation. You know, I never get someone to say anything that they wouldn't normally say. And I would never take someone out of context and, and, and make it seem like they thought one thing, but they didn't, you know? Um, so leading, I don't think so. I, I think um, guiding maybe is a better word. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen any... Uh... No, no, that that completely does, right? I, I was also, it was a slightly tongue-in-cheek question anyway, uh, right? I, I think okay. we Bitcoiners have a tendency to want to hear our pre, I guess, our priors, right? We want those validated as well. So there, there is an element of that unconscious bias that occasionally slips. I'm not suggesting you're doing it, but I think in general, Bitcoiners, we, we, we want to hear what we already believe for the most part. 
Um, so uh, that's it was more of a tongue in cheek uh, question too. But have you in in your conversations have you seen any themes of uh, or is 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 there hope in in these people or is it across the board are they in despair? No, um, it depends on the culture um, and it depends on um, the how likely. Uh, the people think it is that they will work together in times of a crisis and how unlikely it is that they wouldn't. So um, in places like uh, here in Los Angeles that I've talked to people, they're not very hopeful, right? They feel if some, even if just some earthquake hit and it caused the natural disaster, uh, that it would get uh, violent and uh, there would be stealing. And uh, it, it's, it's an occasion where you would want to bear arms to defend yourself, perhaps. You would need to. Um, and so I think if you are living in that kind of environment, um, you are not hopeful. If you realize that money always inflates to, to nothing, and the consequence of that is a nightmare, um, you know that there's no escaping that. When, when you realize that... Um, and nothing ever gets cheaper and it'll always get more expensive. You realize it's going to get more difficult. And then you start to, start to think about, okay, well, it's going to get ugly here. But the places like uh, Jamaica, for example, um, a few people were hopeful there because they, they felt that no matter how bad the money got, um, they have the resources on the island to take care of themselves. And the, and, and the people have that kind of spirit to come together. And um, so I think that's really what it comes down to. And then the wild card is, Anywhere you go in the country where someone's life has significantly improved, the quality of their life has significantly improved in a short period of time, those people are going to be a hopeful period. So, for example, in Kenya, I was out there documenting what Gridless is doing with Bitcoin mining, making it profitable for small power plants to be built in rural areas for the first time. So people are getting electricity for the first time. And these people, by all standards, are poor, right? Like they're dirt poor, like the definition of dirt poor they live they have dirt grounds they have uh, you know tin walls and mud walls and, and no electricity right that's what that's what they've been living with but these people have had electricity for a few months and all of a sudden their kids can study with light bulbs instead of kerosene lamps that are burning their eyes they can charge their phones at home they don't have to walk a far distance and pay us like a bunch of money every day to charge their phone this farmer's cutting his the feed for his cattle through a machine takes him 10 minutes instead of two hours of the machete. Um, these are life-changing. They completely change your imagination of the future. So those people, of course, I mean, they were the most hopeful people I've met. They were the happiest people I interviewed, even though they were dirt poor, because their quality of life improved so drastically, so quickly, that they're just they're hope they're so excited for the future you know um like the woman again she lives in a dirt house dude i'm saying that she lives a comfortable life now and that life is perfect everything's been perfect <laughs> like <laughs> wow so that's anyway I, but yeah i i think that's what i found in terms of hope and do you in in, in the specific kenya example uh do the are these people who've i guess their productivity is improved and they suddenly find this hope do they realize what's caused that, or is do they just uh, yeah what 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 do they attribute this new improvement in quality of life to? 
well, just to the electricity and to the electrical company that that provides it to them. You know, I asked them in the interviews, uh, some of these locals, like, do you what do you know about Bitcoin mining? And they're like, what what are you what are you talking about? Right. Um, the thing is, a lot of Bitcoiners misunderstand what's happening out there with Bitcoin mining, too. Um, um, they, they don't they the, what they miss is the power plant. They don't understand. They, they don't understand. There's a power company, right? That that's their job. They, they try to find places that they can build power plants and sell the energy and make a profit for them and their investors in the long term. Um, and and what the mining does is the mining just helps those power plant companies make money when they first build the power plant and the people in the area aren't using that much energy yet, you know, to power a light bulb uh, and to charge your phone and to run this little cutting machine is not that much energy. It doesn't make sense to build these things. So anyway, uh, the people don't understand the Bitcoin mining at all. The, the, they, all, they, all they'd say is this man, Matumba, or I forget his name, that one of the workers at the power plant company came to us one day and said, do you want power? And we said, yes. And he plugged it in. And ever since then, everything's been great. Um, so that's one of the beautiful things about all of this. Um, and one of my friends told me this and it stuck with me. He said, you know, people always talk about Bitcoin is going to save the world and Bitcoin fixes this and Bitcoin fixes that. And, and it's like, it's true, but this is a real example of it happening. Like this is a perfect, uh, uh, perpetual positive motion where, the Bitcoin miners making money, the power plant is making money, the people are getting electricity, and it's fueling more and more of it to happen. And the people, I don't know who's benefiting most, right? But the farmer, who seems like he's benefiting most, it seems like the, his life is changing the most drastically than all of the other two parties, is unaware that Bitcoin is the reason why. And it doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter because his life is getting better. And so I think it's yeah. just one of those things. It's just it's a it's maybe one of the first real physical proofs that Bitcoin is this no lose situation and where everybody wins when it makes sense. And and it just blossoms. It just it, it creates a blossoming of a beautiful flower of of collaboration. So um, I forget the question, but I'm pretty sure I answered it. No, the question was, you did. Uh, the question was, are these are the people who are benefiting from it aware yeah. uh, that it's, it's, uh, it's actually Bitcoin, right? right? Or, well, are they aware of the reason why this is happening? Because, and if I were to tie it all together, right, this power plant would not have been profitable if it wasn't bootstrapped with Bitcoin mining, right? Uh, it just wouldn't, wouldn't have happened because there wasn't enough demand for it. It got bootstrapped because of the Bitcoin mining uh, gridless, right? You said the name of the company was. Uh, and then that allowed to, uh, them to uh, generate plentiful uh, power to the, the community. And they're now thriving because of the increased productivity and quality of life and what have you, right? So Exactly. Uh, and, and look, and as Bitcoiners, right, what, what do we ultimately want? I'm, to the extent that there's a we in Bitcoin, right? Uh, but uh, I think from a lot of the Bitcoiners I've spoken to, we just want to live in a happy, thriving and abundant world and peaceful world, right? And how does it matter if people acknowledge whether 
it's Bitcoin that's done it for them, right? It's as long as it's happening in the background somewhere, that's great. Yeah, it reminds me of a couple things. Um, okay, so the first thing in terms of bootstrapping, yes, you're exactly right. Okay, you're making the Bitcoin mining is making the power plant company more profitable. And therefore what they can do, because literally, if you're plugging someone in for the first time, you have to put poles in the ground and you have to put wires to their house, right? Literally, you're bu fucking building the infrastructure. So when you're more profitable, you're dropping more poles and you're dropping more lines. Um, okay, so there's that. And, and, and to a further extent, now it's a paradigm shift in the power plant business because now all of a sudden you couldn't get money because you couldn't prove that the site would be profitable that you want to build on. But now you can. So as a byproduct, more people are going to get energy. So it, it's, a, it's the most beautiful story in Bitcoin, in my opinion. Now, the second thing is um, it, what you say is it doesn't matter whether or not the people are aware or acknowledge that Bitcoin is the reason why. And it reminds me of Marcus Aurelius and Stoicism because uh, and uh, he talks about like walking the path for the sake of walking the path. You know, you do something good for somebody because that's what you do. That's what humans do. And not because you're expecting someone to recognize it or acknowledge it or give you an award for it or give you something back for it. You know, it's um, the act is fulfilled in itself, period. And again, it's just another physical representation. Like a, Bitcoin is exactly that. It does not care whether these people know or not. And the miners don't care either. They don't need to educate the people on, hey, this is why you want to have Bitcoin here at the power plant, you know, uh, like the regular people. It's, it just works. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you summarized it perfectly. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. I mean, I mean, like you, when you watch the interviews in my film from these local people, you'll understand a bit better. But even then, right, it's not the same as actually being there. And it's definitely, it's changed my life meeting people like that, that are living in those conditions and having that kind of improvement and are that happy, like, and knowing it's going to, that story is going to multiply millions of times over, over the next few years. Like, I'm just so excited for the whole continent of Africa. It's, it, 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 it honestly really did change my life down there. Like, yeah. And that's great. And have you, did you notice when you were there, if that improved quality of life and improved productivity, right, that that's come about, has that had uh, a deflationary effect or is it just too small at this point to have that effect? No, it's having the opposite. Like, um, so there was two people that I interviewed. Uh, the one that's more relevant would be the farmer. So the farmer is really being more productive. The woman is more, um, uh, her kids can study. So her kids will likely be more productive, right? Or they'll, they'll go further in education and likely be more productive in the future. But the farmer is literally, you know, he, he's just thinking, he, he's thinking about new businesses. Um, he wants to start rearing chickens and he maybe wants to start a welding business, right? And um, so I think it's, it, they just become more productive. The, the nice thing about their situation is they have the basics covered, right? They have a shelter, they have food, they can feed their family, they can get them to school. And, um, and when you have that, then, you know, uh, life is at least okay. You know that, okay, things are going good enough. I'm, I'm moving things along, but with an extra boost, they're just able to, to produce more. So um, maybe it hasn't had, you know, the electricity hasn't been widespread enough. I think at that site, I think there were 800 or a thousand families that were plugged in. Um, but 
No, uh, I haven't seen anything deflationary. Uh, just seems like productivity is and and hope is going up. You know, I mean, uh, that's what I asked him. What are your goals? What do you see for the future? And he's like, rearing chickens, maybe starting new businesses, welding, growing my family. You know, um, so yeah. Now it's amazing. It's I, I love hearing stories like this. Have you have you got any other hopeful stories like this in your travels, Shooter? Would love to hear another one. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of the filming I've done so far has been uh, uh, covering the inf like how crappy it is to live with inflation, right? Um, and I'm I'm just kind of getting closer to more of the the helpful things that Bitcoin has done. I'll be in El Salvador pretty soon, interviewing um, some Canadians that moved down there after having their bank accounts frozen, and also one of the um, the spokes people for the trucker convoy. So that'll be fun. I'm starting to get into the, the events um, and situations that Bitcoin helps people in. And I'm definitely going to go deep in that area too, like people who have escaped war or, or you'd fled a country with wealth thanks to Bitcoin. Um, you know, some people literally survive because of that, right? Because you need to be able to pay people to move across different countries. And if you're carrying gold or something like that, you might just get jacked at one point. Um, so, um, so yeah, in terms of, of hopeful, I mean, Africa was really awesome. And then, you know, even in Latvia, I mean, anytime I'm around Bitcoiners, um, you talk to people and you hear the projects they're working on and that makes you really hopeful, right? And I, when I talk to these experts too, like, um, you know, uh, yes, yesterday, uh, Saturday, I had the great honor of interviewing Graham Hancock uh, for my film. And um, because he wrote a book in 1989 about the World Aid Organizations, you know, uh, all kinds, but also the World Bank and the IMF and how aid really doesn't help countries. And so, you know, this kind of falls into the part of my film that is about um, where the printed money goes, right? Um, and so even though those things aren't necessarily hopeful to talk about, right, they're like bad things that are happening. Again, it reminds me that this is what Bitcoin fixes, right? So ultimately, I'm, I'm always hopeful because I know that all, like in the future, Bitcoin will win. And I know that because it's already so strong, but also because there's people like me all over the place doing whatever we can do as individuals to keep this thing going. Because fundamentally, for whatever reason, and maybe you can tell me why you think, we have this desire to just make a better world. Like, why do I care that someone in Kenya is living a happier life? What, what is that to me? You know, it doesn't do anything for me, um, but it does somehow, some, some way. So, some, something inside of us makes us care about random, strange people. So um, I don't know, and hopefully we don't get too, off, too far off on a tangent, but why do you think that is? Is that just... Like a mango tree makes mangoes. Is that just what humans do? We just, that's what we're meant here, meant here to do? I think so, uh, Shooter. I, 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 you know, humans have this, I, I, well, I'd like to see the best in people, right? And I think every human being is capable of that. Uh, like you said, a mango tree uh, produces mangoes, right? I think humans do care about the greater good. I think what happens is, uh, the fiat world, the world we live in, right, the matrix, has beaten so much of that out of us 
out of out of so many people that we're so narrowly focused on our quote unquote selfish needs, right? Our short term uh, goals. Uh, and I think Bitcoiners have gone through the process. This is our proof of work, right? We've uh, many of us have had to admit that we were wrong about our worldview at at some point, right? It's we were born again in many ways. I mean, this is this is just by the way, this is just adding to Bitcoin being a cult <laughs> narrative. Uh, but you know, we, we've actually had to go through that process. We've had to do the work and admit to ourselves that we were wrong, and then emerge out of that. Uh, with with the humility, uh, and then you know, once you've cleansed your soul, right, by accepting Satoshi into your heart, uh, I, I think you 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 go back to that natural state of humanness, which is caring for one another and for the greater good. Yeah, um, one of the things that Graham Hancock said about the Great Pyramid in Giza in our talk was that it's an initiation device; that he sees it as a big question mark that draws certain people in and it kind of picks its own initiates and i thought that was remarkably uh descriptive of bitcoin and he even said you know when he came across the great pyramid it forced him to learn things that he never thought he would learn like astronomy and mathematics and i'm like ah, ah, ah that's what this thing is this bitcoin thing and he he this is his uh, his words uh, about the Great Pyramids is that it's an initiation device. And I, I think that's what it does. Um, and, and it initiates people into more than just Bitcoin, right? It's this whole human ethos, this whole, you know, like, uh, it just wakes you up to everything that so many things are a lie and the world is broken and it causes you to go down all of these different rabbit holes. And um, yeah, it's, I guess it's just crazy how far away we've come from our, our nature, um, our human nature to help other people because it's just, yeah, it's obviously so deeply ingrained in, in us. And for the ones of us who have become, haven't become jaded yet or beaten down too much by the world, right? Um, uh, we, we still have that in us and we still have the desire to push for that. And Bitcoin gives us like a tool that we can actually use. Yeah, and by the way, even the ones who become jaded and and feel beaten down, I I'll put my hand up and say I was one of them, right? Before I yeah. I discovered Bitcoin. So the point is, if you find a meaning and a purpose, uh, you can bounce back from being jaded and beaten down. It's not the you know nihilism is not an end state. It's not a terminal state. You you can always, you know, come back to uh, something more aspirational and hopeful. But yeah, but you need that. Absolutely. You need that 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 pyramid, right, to to pull you out. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me if uh, what's your thing with stories? Why 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 the title? Uh, I mean, I have my own thoughts about stories and storytelling, but I want to know. I'm curious what what it means to you. What why are stories? Why is the word stories in your title? Is it is it that important? Like, what what's your deal with stories? Yeah, it is. I think it is very important. So uh, there's several reasons why, right? Um, uh, I so I am a storyteller. I'm writing. I'm, I'm releasing uh, the. I, th I believe the first book of fiction on Bitcoin in the next two or three weeks uh, should be coming out. Uh, but uh, I think if I were to take a step back and say, what be, being a Bitcoiner right now, what do I want the most? Right, 
I want the whole world to use Bitcoin because I know that if we're if we're all on a sound money standard, we'll you know we'll move to a more peaceful, more a kinder, a, a, a more abundant world or a happier world. So I, I selfishly, in that weirdly, in a selfish way, I want the whole world to be using Bitcoin uh, because I want to live in that happier world. I have, you know, you met my son. I want him to grow up in that happy world. So, what is the most effective way then of driving adoption? And you know, one way is you can lecture people about Austrian economics and tell them in, in all the different ways in which they're getting screwed by the government <laughs> and how they're trapped and uh right that's one way the other which is which people do right a lot of people do um you can show them the technology make them download a lightning wallet and send them a zap or whatever right? and say oh that's cool uh so you know these are the, the most common approaches I, that i've seen um to try and you know to try and drive adoption i think what i don't believe these are scalable approaches and there's a very simple reason why um these are these appeal to the intellect, right? You're trying to convince people at an intellectual level about Bitcoin. And maybe it works to some extent, but I think if we, if we want to drive true adoption, um, then we need to convince people at an emotional level, get them, you know, make them feel why they need this in, in a real way. And, and not through, I guess fear is a feeling, so you can scare them uh, into doing it, but I, I'd rather do it through some, something more aspirational, right? The feelings we feel when we're at Bitcoin conferences, this, you know, the togetherness, the, the sense of community, belonging, the joy, right? Um, and how, so all, all of that said, I, this is a long answer to your question, Shooter, but um, no, why stories, right? I think any cultural connection is first and foremost led by stories. If you look at, uh, I'm going to go back to religion, <laughs> going back to the Bitcoin as a cult slash religion uh, meme, right? Uh, but in any major religion, God reveals himself through stories. So I think we need to drive adoption. I think we need more stories that, that create that emotional connection um, for people and that draws them into our culture. That's, so that's why. That's why this is the stories we tell. I want to talk to storytellers and see how you're going about telling your story. And I think it's great, um, you know, working in film and working for businesses, like it forced me to study marketing and advertising and understand how these people operate, right? A lot of times I would work on a project and there would be five or 10 or 15 uh, staff on my client company between the sales and the marketing department that would have input or uh, feedback on anything that I did. So um, I dove deep into just really understanding, you know, what, what I'm doing. And what I know about storytelling is that it was the first like form of communication. It's um, how we told one another to watch out for this thing or that thing, or, you know, my brother got eaten by this lion. And so watch out over here, the lions hang out over here, you know? Um, and the way I see it is um, life is a game of telephone, right? We pass information down, we, uh, you know, uh, and, and the next generation takes on. And I think that for whatever reason, like neurologically, our brains are wired for stories, right? When we hear stories, our brains fire in the same way as if we were experiencing those stories. So you really do feel things with stories. and. Um, and, and so I think if life is a game of telephone, I think storytelling is the best way to get information 
across point to point to point to point to point without people fucking it up. You know, um, if you make it technical or something like that, then people can't really follow along. But if you put it in the form of a story, it's the most understandable by the most number of people um, uh, across the most the most amount of time. So, um, and and to your point about feeling, yeah, I mean, most people don't get into Bitcoin until they feel some type of pain that Bitcoin alleviates, right? Um, and so. With storytelling, you can simulate that, right? You can put them in like a virtual reality of feeling and you can have them feel, right? Because if, again, if you tell them a story about somebody having all of their money taken from their bank account, uh, the person watching, as, as long as you're doing a good job with your filming or your storytelling and it's not too jumbled up, the person watching should feel what that feels like. And uh, then it, maybe you can synthetically make them feel the pain and therefore cause them to, to, uh, to take an action. Um, and then the last thing I thought about while you were talking is um, like the, the, the duality of life, the yin and the yang, because you were talking about wanting to focus on the good parts about Bitcoin, the aspirational parts and the community and everything like that. But we only feel this way and the community only is so strong because we understand the significance of the problems that Bitcoin is fixing. If you don't understand the nastiness, I don't know if you can fully appreciate the, um, you know, the, the, the good things that are happening. And that's kind of always how I've always made my projects. You know, with El Salvador, for example, I started, you know, I started with their problems, right? Their civil war and their gang war because you won't understand when someone says, we can finally walk at night. Like, this is amazing. You have, you have no idea what that means unless you, you understand the history. So I think it's a great idea. And I think, you know, um, everything should always end on a positive note because that's where we're trending. Um, but maybe, you know, you'll have, maybe you'll have a duality on your network. Maybe you'll have things that, hey, this is the nasty shit going on and this is the good shit going on. Um, and maybe that that's that's the way of doing it. But yeah, storytelling is definitely the way to go. I mean, it's 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 the best way to communicate. Period. You know, and I think a lot of these people on Bitcoin, they miss they they make a big mistake is they don't communicate in a way that a majority of people can understand. You need to simplify your messaging. You need to tell it in the form of stories so that more people can understand what you are saying. Um, not so that you look intelligent or smart. Princeton did a study a while ago about people who actually use simple language are perceived as more intelligent because you fucking understand what they're saying, you know? So um, anyway, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think the title is great. I think the theme is great. I think talking to storytellers is going to reveal new nuggets for you, new in insights and new ways that people are thinking about Bitcoin um, from and th thinking in terms of storytelling and talking to people and everything like that. So I think you're onto something awesome here. I'm excited for you and I'm excited for your book. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Shooter. But, but you do raise an interesting point there, which is, uh, the, the duality that exists, right? The, the yin and the yang there, there is a dark, there, there is no light without the darkness, right? There's, you, you have to acknowledge everything that's wrong with the system. 
um, that that even and for for most of us, right? That's what got us here. We 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 knew there was something wrong with the world. We qu- couldn't quite put our finger on it, and then Bitcoin comes along, and then everything eventually makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, and and in in my case, it's you know uh, when I've presented this idea to other people, they're uh, they're saying, well, well, why do you want to focus only on the happy stuff? Uh, it's uh, are you pretending that the bad stuff doesn't exist? It's it's not that. I don't want to dwell there. I acknowledge it. It exists, but that's not what I want to uh, feed my attention to. But but the point that you raised, Shooter, is uh, you know you uh, the stories. Well, at least the sense I got was uh, from what you were saying is. The first story has to be about what's wrong before you lead them to uh, what's beautiful in, in front. Is that did I understand that right? Yeah, I think so. I think you need to understand the problem to fully appreciate the solution. And maybe my film will be that for you, though, right? Like it'll be like, hey, if you want to learn, like touch the surface level, the negative stuff, watch Shooter's film, you know. And then here's all the positive stuff. And ultimately, like you should do whatever you want ultimately you know and people will say that too about my el salvador film like hey you didn't cover like the possible abuse of power that was going on there and my position is like look i funded this myself i spent all my time doing it in between my regular work and my personal obligations i'm gonna do it however the fuck i want to do it you know there's already people covering those things it's getting a lot of attention those dictatorial things and the human rights violations Everyone's getting a lot of that information already. I'm going to put out this information. And it's another side that people haven't seen. And okay, maybe it's not exactly balanced like you want it to be, but I don't care because it's my thing and this is how I'm approaching it. So yeah, I think I think there is truth though in that there is value in teaching people the problem. But if, you know, p- people are doing that too. And if you are naturally inclined and being pulled towards doing positive things definitely do that you know focus on that. Uh, that that's that's what i think yeah so so what well, well said shooter and and that's I, I think if people focus on exactly what they want to do then that's when the best work comes out right they're not they don't feel obliged or uh, encumbered by other people's expectations uh, that makes a complete sense uh you know just going back you mentioned yourself funding your film um, and that just, you know, got me thinking uh, about, you, you know, there are several talented uh, filmmakers such as yourself who are making uh, Bitcoin-related content, right? But they're all doing it themselves. They're all, for the most part, right? Some of them get a little bit of funding here and there. Uh, do you see any, uh, I, I suppose, infrastructure that that's going to come up uh, in in the conversations you've had with folks, right, at these different conf- conferences. Uh, is there any infrastructure that you see that's going to come up, come about that's going to help uh, address this funding issue, um, right? Like, you know, have producers who are looking for something like this uh, to produce content like this, and maybe have some help with the editing and some of the more operational work that goes into a film. Um, not necessarily. I think there are a few, uh, there's at least one group, right? Like the Bitcoin film fest that's kind of gathering people together, but I don't think they're necessarily focusing on production. Um, it's an interesting time, um, in Bitcoin and in life, I think, um, like, I think the issue is it's, it's kind of like a free market to be honest with you. Um, I, I've been doing film for a long time. 
Um, and, you know, anything you practice a long time, you become good at. And I definitely feel I can say without any ego that I'm good at what I do. Um, I've talked to a lot of businesses. I I'm very well-rounded. You know, it's not like I'm just an artistic person that has a problem talking to business people or, or, or negotiating. No, I, I'm, I, I can do all of these things. And so life has never been easy for me. But if I am persistent, I always break through. I always break through. Um, and even then, if raising money for this project was difficult, <laughs> very difficult. Um, and what it came down to is uh, there's only two reasons someone will invest in your Bitcoin film uh, or, or artwork, in my opinion. One is they believe in you and they believe that your work can have a big impact, right? It, that, it has to be that. It can't just be like, hey, it's going to inspire 10 people, you know? Um, it has to be something that can make a dent in this narrative thing, in this Bitcoin thing, in this onboarding, this adoption thing. Um, if you can, if you can demonstrate that, if you, if you have a plan and you believe that you can do that, then you have to convince them to believe in you too. Um, it's really as simple as that, you know, and if they don't believe in you, um, then maybe you should rethink your plan or maybe you should sharpen your blade and try to become better at what you do so that they will believe in you. Okay. Or, or number two, the second reason why they might invest in you is because they think they'll actually make some money back. Right. Um, now, in terms of Bitcoin, that's, gonna, that's really fucking hard. Um, very few investments outperform Bitcoin, right? So um, you better have a really, you better have a way to make money, you know, with, with the thing. So um, I think that's where the current market is, you know. And I think if um, an institution come, put, gets put into place where there's better infrastructure um, for filmmakers, in Bitcoin to produce more content and to or to have editors or, or whatever it is. I think that's great. As long as you don't lose the, the ability to focus on important things to do and important stories to tell and not just go, Hey, fuck it. We, we have this infrastructure. We got these people like you know, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. Like, I don't know how this stuff ties together, but you know, whatever, we'll just, we're just going to help you out. I think you would lose the free market, uh, pressure normally that you would have that you would have to to be able to get money you know like have a plan you know and maybe that can be part of this process too right if you're if if you're going to offer infrastructure or someone's going to offer infrastructure there there's a there's a there's a review process you know like why do you think this is so important to do right now you know how many people do you think we can touch with this how are we going to reach them you know uh, you know exactly like things like this so um yeah, I, I, that, th those are my thoughts. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, it's not easy, you know. And, and again, like in Florence during the Renaissance, right? Like you, you had people that started funding these things, right? And I think right. we're getting closer to that. And I think as the price runs up, you know, people will be more open to, to doing that. But I think as an artist, if you have your blade sharp and you feel you are one of the top people in your industry, period, not Bitcoin related, just period. Um, come up with a plan that can change the world and, and you, you can convince people it's, it's possible. I'm living proof in a fucking bear market. Like I started raising money in January. It was like 16 grand a Bitcoin, you know? Um, 
And so, but again, it was great for me because it made me refine my approach, refine my pitch. It made me work hard to get where I'm at now. And I now am like, it just made it so much better. It just made it so, so much better. So you got to keep that grit. You got to keep that intensity somehow if you're going to offer someone infrastructure that they normally wouldn't be able to obtain from the free market. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great answer, Shooter. And you laid out two scenarios there, right? One is where someone believes that you can actually touch people uh, or reach people through through the project, through whatever the work of art is, right? And and fantastic example of Florence, by the way, right? That uh, it's that low time preference patrons, right, who who did it for the culture, not for a quick return on investment. And then the second one is obviously the higher time preference folks, the presumably your garden variety venture capitalist. Uh, who's like, yeah, where's my X percent return uh, year one, Y percent return year two, right? And I think especially for for cultural works such as what you do, right, or or art or, you know, or maybe one day we'll have uh, grand architecture that's associated with Bitcoin, right? It's uh, going the VC model is probably... <laughs> Uh, not a winning way, and it is a, it is a question of finding a low time preference patron who's you know not looking for that quick return, but is doing it for the culture, maybe over ten, twenty, even fifty year period. Yeah, and it'll be there. I mean, again, if they believe in Bitcoin, right? They believe that this is just a start, and for whatever reason, like uh, the sooner you do things, the old the older buildings are, like the cooler they are, right? Like in Latvia. Who owns those buildings anyway? You know, like they're so beautiful. Can you imagine like there's a possibility that you could own a building that was built in whatever, the 1500s or something with like beautiful statues outside? Like what's the value of that? That's, I don't know. It seems very valuable to me. And I think these low time preference investors, right? Or these Bitcoiners, like if they invest in some beautiful architecture at some point in the future and they own a portion of that building and they hang on to it, I mean, I don't know. Is it going to outperform Bitcoin? Probably not, but, you know, it, its value will grow. Um, but, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a cultural thing. And, you know, I think even the XY investor, right, the, the VC, they should see the value in art, even if there's not a tangible uh, like return on their investment. Because if they're investing in Bitcoin um, and, and a film could potentially bring Bitcoin awareness to more people, uh, that that would be good for them, right? Even if they plan on selling at a hundred grand or two hundred grand or two hundred and fifty grand, like maybe this is just a little extra thing that they can do to try to push the culture along to get to that price point where they're at. So um, I, there's just going to be more and more of this. Like it, it's it's just going to be more and more. Um, that that's for sure. Yeah, I think so. You you raise another point, shooter, which is which is a good one. But I I do have a counterpoint. As you were talking about, would the this piece of art or architecture outperform Bitcoin, right? Um, I think for Bitcoin to outperform anything, uh, there needs to be continued adoption, right? I mean, absent that, if there's no adoption, Bitcoin is not going to outperform anything. So I think what part of what I'm, uh, the case I'm making is if you want Bitcoin adoption, you need is some kind of cultural movement that's broad-based, right? So uh, I, so I think measuring a, an investment's return over uh, versus Bitcoin's uh, return, right? Uh, maybe that's that's valid, but 
maybe Bitcoin's return wouldn't be that high if if this monument hadn't been built or if this movie hadn't been made or so on and so forth. Yeah, it's possible. Like, and I, um, I don't, no one knows everything about Bitcoin. So I'm yeah. naive, I'm sure in certain ways. But the way I, have, I see it is I truly believe that Bitcoin will, will appreciate it. It will, it will be adopted, period, no matter what, because of two things. One is the system now is definitely going to fail. Like the, it, it, it's going to fail, right? So <laughs> the ship is sinking. The ship will be fully sunk at some point. So people at that point, we're going to have a choice. They're going to say, okay, I'm either going to go on to the next boat that the government built for me, or I'm going to pick this new boat that I've been ignoring for a long time. And now is like, you know, whatever, a hundred thousand bucks or 500,000 bucks. So I think when people are put to that choice, they'll pick the right thing. Maybe not, you know, like in the Soviet Union, people turned against the farmers. Maybe people can be pointed at us. I, I don't know. Um, but I know the system's going to fail. And then secondly, and maybe this, this ties into that, um, uh, this, this uh, you know, whether Bitcoin is going to win is the people that are working on it cannot stop themselves from working on it. Um, right, like uh, this this notion of has Bitcoin already won, and some people will say no, it's not. We we need to do things, right? Bitcoin is not on its own; it, it needs people to do things. And my point is, it's infected us. We are doing things. We cannot stop ourselves from doing things. You know, like uh, Bitcoin doesn't need us. Bitcoin has us. You know, um, yeah. and there's always more and more people. And for example, I was talking to Graham Hancock, right? And just like you're saying with stories. I didn't talk about Bitcoin at all dur- during our interview. You know, um, after the interview, we did talk about it for about ten minutes, and it turns out that one of his sons is interested in it, which is fascinating. But everything else he was saying, you would think he's a Bitcoin. It, like talking about institutions and bureaucracies and governments, and you know, we we need to. There's certain planetary decisions we need to make. But I am doubly against like a world government. Like that's doubly bad. You know, and. Um, he is such a great mind and he's such a great writer, you know, and that thing like the initiation device, like that's a really good term that, that, that I've never heard that before. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And my point is when brains, like when minds like his come into the space, there's going to be more and more of them. We're just going to like digest and distill and explore this Bitcoin thing um, more and more. So um, when I talk to my investors, I tell them, like, I believe Bitcoin is going to happen anyway, regardless. But I think what this film can do is it can move it along more quickly and it can help more people get on board before this financial flood hits. That's that's what we're doing here. That's the opportunity we have here. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I For some reason, I feel strange about telling people like if you don't invest in this then bitcoin is going to fail where i feel like it, it's everything's got to happen naturally um otherwise it won't work to, to begin with but i completely agree with you that the culture will push it along and ultimately like the thing is the transition could be really fucking bad like it could be really bad like you may think you're saving all of this bitcoin for your grandchildren but maybe you're saving it just to survive the transition you know what i mean so there's an argument there that if we can get ahead of this cultural thing, um, we can smooth out the transition for you too. So maybe you're not spending all of your Bitcoin just surviving. We have like a more calm transition and it is money for your grandchildren. 
So I definitely think that there, there's an argument there, certainly. Now, that makes complete sense, uh, Shooter. Yeah, and, and again, I guess to clarify, I wasn't conditioning uh, Bitcoin's success on investment in art, right? Although I think it, it would certainly help um, in, in promoting too. the culture. Uh, Shooter, look, I think we're we're approaching the hour mark, uh, and I, I think we discussed, uh, we, we would do it for an hour. So I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, would you, why don't you tell the audience what, uh, how to find your film, when it's going to come out, how to find you and follow updates on the film? Yeah. So, um, I guess the best, best place for me is Twitter, um, at Bitcoin shooter. Um, you can see a lot of my stuff there, like stuff that I won't be putting in the film. Um, but it's good stuff will be put there. Um, and then, uh, well, the plan for this film is to, you know, get it on some of the major streaming platforms like Netflix or HBO. So, um, you should know <laughs> when it's out. Um, but, uh, the plan is the having and, um, yeah, again, um, you know, I really feel like my entire life has put me here. Um, it all just lined up, you know, um, Film, in my opinion, is the most powerful art form uh, in terms of touching people's emotions. You just, I have so many tools, right? I have 24 pictures a second. I can put any pictures I want, any art I want, any colors I want. I, I take over people's eyeballs and their ears, right? And I get, I get the benefit of music too. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a multi-dimensional a, canvas for sure. Yeah, and, and and even uh space and time, right? I'm 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 moving you around space and time. Um so it's just so happens that this is what I do, you know? And it just so happens that I understand Bitcoin better than most people and I have a conviction, you know, even even in, in Bitcoiners, right? There's uh there's people that understand it and pe and people who are still kind of worried about uh things in the future. So, um yeah, I really feel like this is my uh, this is my chance to do something for you know for for the earth, and I think everybody kind of always is you know like we said earlier wants to help people, and they do it in their own ways, and my way just so happens to be a very powerful way. So um, yeah, again, like I said before, man, I'm all. I've been fucking hitting home runs for years, man. And this thing has been turning out um, no less than that. So even if these big platforms don't want it, the film will get out there. It'll be available. And at a minimum will, in my opinion, be like the best orange pilling tool in existence. Um, it's short, you know, it takes less time than a book. And I can't give all of the details. But I can at least give the audience the outline of the puzzle, the border of the puzzle, and make them see this is the picture that's going on. Now, you know, you now you should be compelled to want to fill in the puzzle. That's my job. That my job is to get them to want to learn more. I can't feed them everything, but I can trip them down the rabbit hole. So, um, yeah, I appreciate the time talking to you, uh, and you invited me on. I like what you're doing. And also me talking about these things helps me, you know, think through my thoughts and organize my thoughts and distill my thoughts and keep me on focus. So um, I definitely get a benefit from this stuff too. So um, yeah, I guess all I want to say is 
like life's so good, man. And um, I really think that this is my experience is going to be much more common for people in the future. It's already happening for Bitcoiners and it's going to keep happening. And this is just what life is going to be like for people around the world. And um, yeah, I'm excited for it, man. And uh, yeah. I'm really happy to have met you and your family. It's been awesome. Yeah, likewise, Shooter. You're, look, you're a living example of someone who is creating the reality they want to live in, right? And it's unfolding in front of them. That's fantastic. Before you go, Shooter, so you said the halving is when we should probably expect the film. Does that mean you're going to be at the film festival in Poland, uh, April 19th and 20th? Yeah, we'll see. It's hard to commit to things that far in advance. Those guys have been in touch with me, but I keep telling them, like, it's too far away. I don't know for sure, but I hope to have it done by then. The, the thing about the film, though, is that as I am picking up more material for the body of my film, it's starting to open up doors to bigger names and bigger faces that will be want, want to be a part of the, of the film. So it's possible that I finish around that time, and then I have a couple big names that are down to have me interview them, and I have to go fly and do that first, you know. So, um, yeah, definitely if I'm available – um, I'll be there, um, but we'll see. All right. Well, I'll probably be there. So if you're there, we'll, I'm sure we'll catch up. Uh, Shooter, pleasure. Best of luck with everything else. And hopefully meet you before the halving. Uh, some, somewhere, someplace. Take yeah, care, my friend. I hope so too. You too. Thank you, man.